And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper, Britt Giroli, Eno Saris here with you on this Friday. It is Friday, October 22nd. I always say it just in case... You know, my voice is the voice that tells you what day it is. Some people don't look at their phones. Or <laughs> Good watches. morning, Vietnam. Yeah, uh, I, I could maybe I could do a role like that. I mean, it, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, but uh, lots to talk about on this show. We have Game Six coming up in the ALCS tonight. We had a very exciting Game Five. If you're a Dodgers fan, or if you're a fan of Chris Taylor, or if maybe you played. DraftKings and had Chris Taylor in your captain spot in a single game. That was not me, but you certainly are happy today if you pulled that off. And we begin on the NLCS side where the Dodgers got to Max Freed and with their bullpen game, even though Joe Kelly was not good and failed to get through the first inning, even though Atlanta took a 2-0 lead in the first inning, it was not enough. Huge win for the Dodgers, obviously facing elimination, but now... The overall feel for the series, despite Atlanta being up a game, has completely changed because of the way the pitching matchups line up for the weekend. Britt, did you feel like this was a, it wasn't must win for Atlanta, but it, it just sort of opens the door for things to get dicey again, right? To follow the script of, of last year, unfortunately, just because of the way the schedule actually lines up. Yeah, I want to go on record real quickly and say that I know nothing. Um, I mean, you watch that first inning of the game yesterday, and you're like, here it is, the series over. Right. right? Uh, they get the home run from Freeman. Joe Kelly comes out of the game that, I mean, you knew he wasn't pitching deep, but still, like, um, you really felt like Braves are just going to steamroll them, like they've steamrolled them the, the entire series. And it, it just didn't happen. And watching that, you kind of get the thinking feeling you're right dvr that oh my god are the dodgers gonna win this series are they gonna do this again do they like being in an elimination mode um how did they win that game i mean you look on paper you play that game a hundred times they probably win 99 right but or is this retribution because they had no business winning the prior game when they had the bullpen start so i think what we should do in october is just all admit that we don't know anything and that no matter what we think about it, it's going to go the opposite way. And then you'd probably be just right on the money. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm sad this morning. I'm sad because the bullpen game won. <laughs> there is no better quote than Cody Ballinger, uh, who said kudos to the bullpen. Um, they did really good from the beginning. I don't remember who started. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, we're all humans who like to get credit and pats on the back for the work that we do and like to be called out by name when we do something right. So to be lumped in with a group like that, hey, congrats to the podcasters for making some good shows. Like, I don't oh. remember any of their names. 
No, yeah. I don't think it's. I mean, some were like, "Oh, that's just Cody Bellinger." I I think that's a that's a natural thing. Like, who's gonna remember Philip Evans' name? Next it's year? Evan Phillips. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. You already you already see, confused see, him with that infielder. See, see and I wrote, right. piece, I wrote a piece about him. <laughs> I wrote a whole damn piece about the Dodger slider, and he was in it. I got his name wrong. I wrote that piece like two days ago. Yeah, it's fair. It's like, good job, whoever you are. And also, I only know that guy because he was an Oriole, and I obviously pay attention to the Orioles more than the average Evan Phillips. Sorry, Evan Phillips. No, and I want to give credit. Evan Phillips was great. Uh, Alex Vessia is... Is uh, has uh, a lot of stuff. He's he's a he's a really interesting uh, young player pitcher. Maybe he could be a starter someday. Um, I would think that uh, we would remember him better if he becomes a starter. Well, yeah, okay. That's my so, point. So here's the thing that's going to happen. We talked about this a bit yesterday. The future. Andrew Perpetua was giving us some ideas as to what he thought was going to be like the shape of a pitching staff in the future. Just looking at how the Dodgers did it with an off day today. Gratterall going for two, in part because he only threw 14 pitches to get six outs. Blake Trinan went for two. Knable and Jansen. Those four guys, Gratterall, Trinan, Knable, and Jansen. You could have any one of the Dodgers pitchers. Like if Walker Bueller has a disappointing start and only goes five or even doesn't get through all the way through the fifth inning, you could see all four of those guys pitching a game where a good traditional starter pitches. That could happen, right? One inning apiece, not really unreasonable to think that. I think where it really starts to break down is the first three innings, especially being covered by three different pitchers. That's the part that really messes with our heads. Like even if the the opener, the new starter, goes three or four, that will sit better with us than three pitchers to get through the first three frames. That something about that is weird. I think one of the things you got to do if this is a bigger part of the future of baseball, every reliever needs an entrance video. Every reliever needs to be hyped up and needs to come into a, a video. Like it'll take more time. It's good. It's good for creatives. More jobs for creative yeah. people. So I like that. And like, look, we in stadium or something. There's nothing wrong with uh, you know, like making really unique entrance videos. Gr- Jason really like had the, the grilled Hansel, cheese, the Hansel Robles white horse. Yeah, right. That's that. The people, people probably more people know who Hansel Robles is because of the because of the white horse, the video and the white horse, <laughs> than they would have known if they had never made that video. So I think it's going to take a little bit of creativity to get also, people more familiar with this. this you don't have to show each entrance video on TV, uh, but there's enough downtime between pitches where you can be like, "This is how he came in." <laughs> but they should show entrance videos on TV. That's actually another good way to present the game differently. So, I mean, I'm, I'm half kidding, but I, I think if, if you're going to... That, that gets at my problem I'm talking about. The, the problem is that nobody knows who they are, and they're, they're, it's hard to market them. So at least this is a marketing idea. You know what I mean? I just think it's easier to market fewer names. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, did you guys know yesterday was the sixth, sixth time this postseason the starters failed to go one inning? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that. That's my honest the, Me either. I, I'm so glad because we're not often in agreement on this show that all of us are like, get lost here because yeah. it just, I, I mean, don't I know. It's, it's I understand analytically. Like the analytic part of my brain is like, yeah, you know, it makes sense. But I don't know. Like the fan of me is not, yeah. is not into it. All right. So I'm going to put a informal poll up for people watching us live. The, uh, we need a nickname for that group. The stream team is is owned by No Dunk, so I can't call them the stream team. But uh, <laughs> we'll we'll come up with something. I'm just curious how much this bothers other people. Are are we turning into 
the olds shaking our fists at the cloud and, and saying, this is terrible. This isn't the way the game was growing up. I'm used to bad starting pitchers staying in the game longer than they should and <laughs> giving up 450-foot dingers to juiced-up players. I want that era back. I want 1999 baseball back. Like, okay, like maybe, maybe, maybe we're a little wrong. I think there is probably some kind of happy medium here. Chris Taylor homered three times in this game. That's awesome. And Chris Taylor ended the postseason in a slump, obviously hit the walk-off in the wild-card game against the Cardinals, basically put the offense on his shoulders, and the Dodgers piled on more late. Chris Taylor is one of those guys. You can talk about him in the same sort of context as Eduardo Rodriguez, someone who's probably making himself a bit more money with what he has done on the big stage here in the postseason. He's laid the groundwork for this for a few years. It's not just like, here's this new guy that showed up. We know who Chris Taylor is. He's been a key versatile piece of these Dodgers teams that have been in this spot time and time again. Uh, but Chris Taylor, is he a long-term Dodger or is he a guy that will end up going somewhere else and continuing to play every day in the sort of versatile role that we've, we've grown accustomed to? What's your expectation for him, Britt? Gosh, I don't know. I could see it going either way. The Dodgers are in a really interesting spot organizationally. When you look at this winter and this off season um, in terms of what they're going to do. I still think a priority for them is probably going to be seeing if they can retain Max Scherzer uh, because he fit in so well. Also because we're nobody can say for certain that Trevor Bauer is going to be back and pitching anytime soon. Uh, but when you look at that core, there's no doubt that a lot of these guys are going to be gone. And I, I think with Taylor, uh, you look at the versatility, and that's attractive to a lot of teams now, especially because the way these rosters are set up, we don't have these like separate utility guys anymore, right? Like if you're a bench spot or you're just a guy who can play multiple positions, Javi Baez is another great example. He could go to the Mets or the Yankees and play different positions. And he could, you know, really be wanted by both of those guys. So I think Taylor long-term probably not going to, to be a Dodger. I think Clayton Kershaw also is probably going to be a guy who ends his career if he continues to pitch somewhere else so it almost feels like when you watch the Dodger scene like this is the end of not an era so to speak because it's hard to say it was their era when they only won one world series over that stretch but really like the end of this core group that's been slowly you know guys have slowly left um uh, you know Kike Hernandez and John Peterson and you know other guys um that have been part of their success are no longer there but I think this is really the last stand for a lot of this current group and it wouldn't surprise me at all if Chris Taylor ended up somewhere else. Uh, given his skill set, given what teams kind of value nowadays, um, he has an awful lot of value. Yeah. I mean, Pollock could be gone. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Kenley Jansen is mm -hmm. uh, a free agent, I believe. Why yeah, Jansen's a free agent. Pollock does have one more year, so he's probably. Well, he has an, a team option, right? No, it's a player option. That's for 2023. Ah, okay. But uh, Corey Seager Kershaw's could be gone. Kershaw's a free agent. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you're right. Like this is this is a Dodgers team that frequently leads the league in in payroll. They will replace. They will reload. They will keep trying to win. Like I don't think we're I don't think we're going to turn the Dodgers into the Cubs. They have plenty of great long term players under contract. Right? They extended bets. Yeah. They still have Bellinger for a while. Like they've they've got a core. Trey Turner's there for another year. I I. Next, Kershaw's staying. I think Kershaw's staying because they, you know, he, there were some questions about him, and they gave him three years and ninety-three million. You know, I think they're. I think yeah. they're just like. I think they're just like he's going to be a Dodger Hall of Famer, and he's going to be here till he's done. 
And we don't want him to end uh, like his career the Rangers had on or whatever. You don't want him to go home to Texas? He would still go in the Hall of Fame with the Dodgers hat. Yeah. I mean, and, and to your point, Eric, what's unfortunate is that the Cubs get a free pass here. The Cubs shouldn't be doing what the Cubs are doing. That should, there should be some teams that are never allowed to like do these rebuilds or maybe retool. But these teams should not be allowed. Like a team like the Cubs should always be trying to win. And to the Dodgers' credit, actually, you know, as they were rebuilding, they they floated the team with a large payroll. You know, so I, the Dodgers are a model, I think, even for the Yankees, uh, for the Cubs, in terms of like spend the money. You know, like spend the money and try to be good every year. And your your as like as your young guys hit and be, and get better and stuff. You'll have times when you're in the World Series, and you'll have times that you're a wild card. You know what I mean? But you'll you'll pretty much be in the postseason every year if you just spend $250 million every year. Uh, and if you spend it wisely, you know, that's that's also the asterisk. But so I expect I expect them to spend a fair amount. I mean, the, the 22 uh, estimate right now is 194. Like I could see them spending another 50, 60 million on top of that, which could get them two of those free agents back. You know, I mean, they are going to be expensive free agents, but or it could get them a different reliever. You know, maybe they go get Kimbrel. Mm, that's an interesting question. Kimbrel versus this version of Jansen. Who do you actually want if you have to? Well, Kimbrel's one year. You one know, year on Kimbrel, you feel a lot better about that. Yeah. So anyway, I, I expect them to spend a little bit. I don't expect them to go fallow like the Cubs. I mean, that that's just ridiculous. And that might have something to do with the Cubs particular business situation right now with the, you know, they've got the, the network they're trying to get off the ground and they claim they were hit harder by COVID than other teams possibly who knows. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they that, was, that was a selective situation where some teams weird. were impacted more than others. Like, no, it, it, no. Yeah. Weird, weird. COVID really hit bad, particularly in Wrigleyville. Like, no, um, also, they just got all, they're going to get a ton of tax breaks from Wrigley being an historical building. Mm-hmm. A ton of tax breaks. They already get a ton of tax breaks, but they're going to get even more from Wrigley being like deemed as a historical building. So, um, no, I, I think that, I hope that we evolve to a place where the sport where like tanking has some really serious consequences. Um, I wonder, I wonder, you know, there's a, the Doug Fearing, who used to run the uh, analytics department in, in Los Angeles, he wrote a piece about how Chris Taylor is worth a win or two uh, above and beyond his actual production to a team just based on his versatility. And I use that to try and look at Shohei Otani's value to a team, but it's slightly different. In any case, uh, Taylor has been a better player than Hernandez since 2018. Uh, you know, in terms of war, it's, it's one win, but in terms of like walk rate, better, uh, you know, Speed better, defense. Fangraph says worse, but what is your inclination? I I would say Taylor's better. I would say he's at least comparable. Like if if the metrics are are a little lower on him, I don't think it's a big gap at all. So it's on Fangraphs is minus ten runs for Taylor and plus thirteen for Enrique Hernandez, but that doesn't match my understanding. I mean, I'll I'll concede Hernandez being the better defender, but. That seems like a gap that's a little wider than it actually would be. The one place that might stop suitors from spending too much money is that Chris Taylor's had a much larger BABIP to get a similar batting average and has a 28% strikeout rate since 2018 versus Enrique Hernandez's 19%. 
So, you know, teams, I think, are aware of the value of the strikeout. Um, and I think that I think that Taylor will get something that's just very comparable in the candidates' deal. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, obviously, a lot more to unpack in this series. I'll take an L, too. I think Britt took an L on uh, just trying to predict day-to-day baseball, which is impossible. Like, I mean, the core of my professional career, if I'm going to call it that, has been looking at the long view, looking at the full season, who's going to be good, who's not going to be good, who's going to exceed expectations, who's going to underperform. Analyzing games on a day-to-day basis is a completely different animal. And for people who do it well... Tipping the cap to you without actually tipping the cap, literally, that I'm wearing right now because it's very difficult to do. Uh, I'm going to take an L on the Pujols situation, though, because I didn't think there was any chance he'd still be on the roster for the Dodgers at this point in the season. Here he is starting at first base, hitting balls hard, at least making a contribution. Obviously, the leadership and the way people respond to him in the clubhouse, that was a way that he's made an impact since day one getting there. But the part-time role he had throughout the regular season, that went better than expected. I know he's not having a a postseason that's off the charts good, but just having this future Hall of Famer, inner circle guy that is just your last guy on your bench in some ways, Maybe he's the second-to-last guy, technically, because of the Turner injury and how that all plays out. Having that guy there actually does matter, and I was wrong about that. I scoffed at that. I laughed at that even more than I laughed at Britt's prediction that the Cardinals were going to make the playoffs. So that's a big L for me. The funny thing was that the batted ball stats said he still had something left, but you know, since he's so slow, I was like, you know, it's good. It's only doubles and homers, and then he slaps a opposite field single. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah. yeah, what do you know? Um, you know, we know they nothing. Picked they picked him up immediately, right? I mean, they were they were like, yeah, we want him on our team. Yeah. Um, so kudos to the Dodgers for figuring that out. One thing that did that did occur to me watching this game was like, you remember Drew Smiley comes in and throws like seven fastballs and has really good success? I think that um, Freed, I think these Dodgers game plan really, really well. And I know they do the same sort of stuff that the Giants do where they not only have uh, it's called like the eye pitch or something, which is just like uh, a machine that can really try to emulate every single pitch type. And then they can really just be like, hey, let's go take swings against Max Freed for an hour before Max Freed steps on the mound. Right. Um, So they can do that and prepare. Um, but I think that, uh, one thing that I would do if I was facing the Dodgers in the postseason is just do the weirdest crap I could come up with. Just be as weird as effing possible. And I've, I've heard a little bit about this from uh, some players and I can't, I can't mention their names, but like some players have told me 
they put, did away with catcher signs completely. Some players have told me uh, in the postseason um, against certain teams, sometimes they'll do like glove signing. Sometimes the pitcher will call the, the pitch. Um, I've had uh, a pitcher tell me that um, he normally has a riding fastball, like a, a high riding fastball, and he knew that a couple players targeted the top half of the ball and had an adjustment on that. So he threw his four seam with less ride on purpose. Like he dinged his spin efficiency on purpose to throw a flatter four seam and got ground balls off his four seam, uh, knowing that these pitch and, and, it, and like the, the pitcher pointed out some at bats and I looked and I was like, holy crap. I didn't even talked to the player that they did it against. And he's like, oh man, I knew he did that. So, uh, uh, like if I was going to face the Dodgers, I'd be like, well, I normally have a, a riding four seam. Here comes the sinker. Woo! You know, like what you guys didn't think about the sinker, did you? I never throw my change up to righties. Here comes a change up to righties. There's a bunch of change ups to righties. I have a curveball on slider. Why would I do that? I never throw the curve, you know, like, and maybe not just never. Maybe it's like, oh, I rarely do this. Or I rarely, like, just do anything. Just like almost have a random number generator in your head. Just be like, hmm. whatever, you know? Well, yeah, yeah. I, I keep thinking, like, if you ever play poker with someone who has no idea what they're doing, I'm not a good poker player. I've said that before. You can the, lose to those guys. You can lose to the they worst hold players. The weirdest yeah. things, and then the river comes, and you're like, "How did? Why did?" It's because did their you... play is so bad; it's unpredictable. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a certain amount of chaos that comes from not doing the thing you're expected to do that gives you a little bit of leverage. So yeah. I, I, I can kind of see this being something that you could do. I think it's tricky That's though. Weird. Freeze was like throwing. Sorry, yeah. But tricky. if you get, let's say you get too cute with this, like you, you yeah. start messing with the grips, you're trying to adjust the seam shifted wake on then your pitches, and you're just missing spots badly. And you, yeah. you know, hey, I'm gonna throw this crappy flat four seamer. But oh, I didn't command it as well because I don't throw that pitch very often. Right. I just gave up a three run bomb because I thought I could get a little edge by just gripping the ball differently. Like there's I mean, definitely a slippery slope there. That's something that Logan yeah. Webb said was was a big deal for him was actually realizing that, you know, there are that he could actually just have a sort of a, a generic game plan for almost every batter. And that if he executed that, he would do well and it wouldn't matter necessarily what the batter strengths were. Um, and there are yeah. pitchers who are like, you just need to execute. If you need to execute your strengths, then it matters a little bit less what the batter strengths are. That's kind of I feel like what a lot of guys are like my best against your best. If you beat me, mm -hmm. beat me. Right. Like. I remember when I covered Kevin Gossman in Baltimore, one start, he just changed his delivery. He woke up, told us after the game, ah, I just woke up and decided to change my delivery. And you're like, what? How? Did he hammered that? Right? That's and it, it didn't go well. And yeah. so like we used to call him like, the, he was always tinkering, right? Like the king of Tinkerfell. Like that was Kevin Gossman. And you look at what he's done in San Francisco, and he has confidence now. Like this is it. This is him. You're going to wow. beat him or not beat him. And so I think that it kind of depends on the guy a little bit. Some guys are more apt to be a chameleon and they can't adapt. Max Scherzer can just invent, invent pitches and work around injuries and be fine. And a lot of guys, or maybe some guys, just, just simply can't. They need to know that if they get beat, it's because they got beat by their best stuff on their best day. Yeah. I, there's just like, uh, I know that pitchers have, so, like, I, I've... Uh... I've talked to pitchers where, like, they'll talk about, like, uh, you know, oh, I'm doing this now, but, you know, I'm going to see all these guys again for, like, the, this long-ass season. So you'll probably see – like, I've, I've heard – I've talked to a pitcher being like, what happened to the curveball? And be like, ah, you know, I'm just into the slider right now, but you, it's a long season. You're going to see the curveball come back. So I think that there's some – to some extent, pitchers think of, like, what am I going to do in September when I see the Dodgers for the fifth time? 
know what I mean? Like there's trying to get through the order today, but then are there any tricks left in the bag for, for October or for September? And um, I just wonder if uh, the teams could help them with that. would be like, you know, we're going to game plan this way for most of the year, but we've, we've got a version of you that you can break out here and there. Like you can break out against the nationals in August, a game where you just randomly throw, you know, 80% curveballs. You know, just try it out against the Nationals, and hopefully the Dodgers aren't watching that day. You know what I mean? Uh, but, you know, that's why also teams sent out advanced scouts for all of September uh, to, to kind of try and catch this sort of stuff and, and try to see what, what if people are changing or, 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 you know, changing their tendencies off of the, the full season-long scouting report. But I don't know, because for me, Max Fried was like a tick and a half above. I don't think the command was that terrible. And I thought he looked like a good pitcher, the Dodgers still scored on them. Yeah, Same. they weren't whiffing on the curveball. I mean, that's that's relatively speaking. The fa- the four seamer especially was getting hit. I think he had one whiff on seventeen swings with that pitch. Not that he piles up a ton of whiffs with the four seamer ordinarily, anyway. But and that's that him just... being a tick above usual. I mean, he maxed out at ninety seven, was sitting ninety five. Like I yeah. thought the velo was good. So the questions really are now about the weekend. I, I hinted at this. It seems like just because of the pitching matchups, the Dodgers should be favorites in both of the remaining two games, even though they have to win them both to win the series. They go Scherzer in six. They go Bueller in seven. It's Scherzer versus Ian, who? Ian Anderson oh, in six, and then Charlie Morton in seven. So thinking about but, those hey, matchups. Hey, we thought Bueller-Morton was like really a Dodgers landslide uh, the first time it happened, and it sort of turned out differently than we expected. Right. Yeah. Well, so, I didn't, but yes. <laughs> is anyone joining yeah. me on the Dodgers are still going to win this series uh, bandwagon? Oh, I'm super nervous. <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous, but I still think the Braves can do it. Like, again, we're making the same mistake we've made a hundred times. We're like looking at the matchup and we're like, oh, look at how this favors the Dodgers. Who is to say? Who is to say? No one. We have no idea. Does anyone feel comfortable with Max Scherzer or Walker Bueller? Didn't no, I not say, really. I it's said the same the, level, same level on the brave side. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Admit what it. Did I we do? have no idea. I stuck. I said Braves and Astros. You did. Okay. So I feel same. good about the Astros pick. I think they can win one of the next two. Yeah, yeah. I, but I, I think that's going to be. I don't feel so good about the about the Braves. I don't know. They um. They they got Soler back. They got Solaire back, but they, no, I mean, look, here's the thing. They're a home underdog. They Not not big underdogs. They're a home underdog in each of these last two games. So can they win? Of course they could win. They could win in game six. They could win in game seven. Totally I, logical, plausible outcomes. I just, that Dodgers team, they, they're like a cockroach. They never go away. They just, they keep finding a way to get it done, even when you think they're finally about to get eliminated. My my dad, bless his heart, has been uh, betting uh, for most of his life, uh, adult life, and um, his uh, main method. Oh, I'm like blowing up his method. If he's listening, sorry, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but his main method has mostly been in college football, which I think is a different animal than baseball. But in college football, home underdogs—that's his big deal. He he loves home underdogs, and I can see in in college football the crowd, the uh, you know the the refs maybe get a little swayed by the crowd. The crowd is like juicing up the players. Football is a sport where if you get more amped, I think there's a direct line towards probably better play. Whereas like getting more amped in baseball, I don't know if that makes you necessarily better. 
it maybe it makes the pitcher a little bit better, but uh, but sometimes they just lose their command, right? So um, I don't know if that's a, a thing, but you know, home underdog uh, in two and slight home underdog in two games, you're giving them two chances. I mean, the overall series odds still point towards the Braves, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, let me let me oh, verify that. One. You have to win one, and the other team has to I, win two. Yeah, I still like the Braves. I, they're going home. They they know this happened last year. Everyone's now already talking about last year, right? As soon as they lose oh. last night, everyone's talking about oh, last cool. year. Um, the scarier part to me, like the Dodgers, both, at some point the Dodgers' arms have to be tired, right? Like they use a lot of pitchers again last night. I know they have the day off today, but at some point – what, what's scarier to me isn't that they won yesterday's game. It's that the offense has kind of come alive a little bit because if they had squeaked out a five to four win, it would have been like, cool, like golf claps for you or four to three. But that kind of win yesterday was like a confidence boosting drudging, right? Like a good old fashioned blowout game. And some of the guys who haven't been hitting like Trey Turner, um, you know, we talked about Taylor and the night he had pool hosts, um, they, they, their bottom of the lineup was hitting. So I don't really like that if you're a Braves fan and I'm not, but I think the Braves are going to win this series. And I think you look at that and you're like, okay, really? We're going to get beat by these guys. And that's what made yesterday's loss kind of. So like, wow, I'm a little nervous here. I still think Atlanta gets it done, but there are some warning signs that like, as you said, Derek, Derek Cockroach, you kind of awoke the sleeping giant here a little bit last night. You pushed them, pushed them, pushed them backs against the wall. And now they're roaring back to some extent. Here's some Here's, numbers real quick from, from oh, BetMGM. I've got numbers from Fangraphs. So let's get there. Yeah. So BetMGM has the Braves at minus 200 to win one of the last two games, to win well, the I series, know what essentially. That means. I know I should know what that means. Do they, have, it, they don't have a percent. That doesn't convert to a percentage or these. We can convert that to a percentage. Dodgers are plus 165 to come back and win. And then on the other side, Astros are minus 500. Red Sox are plus 375. So pretty big difference in how the books see Okay. Those two series and the likelihood wow. of a, a comeback from those two teams. Zips, uh, Fang, Zips has uh, Astros seventy three percent to uh, Red Sox twenty seven percent, and Braves sixty nine percent. Nice to Dodgers thirty one, hmm. um, and uh, the uh, the overall ones are similar. But this is interesting. Zips has um, Max Scherzer as a fifty eight percent favorite. And Walker Bueller is a 54% favorite. Hmm. But it's the whole idea of you have to win. Like, yes, the Dodgers are favored in both, but the, the Braves just have to win one. Yeah, winning two is quite a bit harder than winning one, mathematically speaking, in games that are reasonably close. But yeah. so the odds for Zips is Braves win in six is 42%. Braves win in seven is 27%. Dodgers win in seven is 31%. So if they get to game seven... The do- it flips to the Dodgers. Right. Totally makes sense based yeah. on the pitching matchup. Because yeah. they only got to win one, and they've got the better of the two starting pitchers. Just slightly better. And uh, we've, seen, we've seen it play the other way. So it's interesting. Just based on those projections, it sounds like there's actually some value on the Red Sox at plus 375 because they don't seem to be as much of a dog as the, the money would lead you to I mean, believe. They're, they're in the same position as the Braves, right? Except they have to do it on the road. Yeah. I don't... I just... We can switch to that series. I don't... I don't see the path for for Boston. Like, the, doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I'm having a hard time seeing how they're going to pull it off. I mean, I think Luis Garcia definitely a wild card just because of that knee injury. How far does he go? He seems like he's been on fumes at times down the stretch too. So 
there's just an overall like form question as great as he was in the regular season. Which version of him are they getting? I was asking the same question about Fromberg going into game five. Fromberg came out and shoved. So uh, it's possible that Garcia comes out and goes five or six and pitches really well. That's obviously possible. But how do you see this going down? Like if this is somehow going to turn into a Red Sox winning twice on the road in Houston, what has to transpire for that to even play out that way? What do you think, Britt? Well, I don't think the Red Sox are going to win, but I think, you know, being in Boston, watching them win that first game, all, I mean, if I had asked you guys after that, I think we were all in on like the Astros being dead. Right. So um, really if Boston's going to win. Uh, they're going to need to continue to put up the ridiculous numbers that they've had. I mean, as of, I think it was yesterday when I was writing, they had 22 home runs. The next closest team was at 12 this postseason. Wow. Um, yeah. Like that, that's, that's incredible in a, a very small sample size to be that far ahead of the next team. So they're going to have to put up these big crooked numbers. And obviously they need to win both of these games in Houston. I, I don't think it's impossible by any means because as much as the Framber Valdez um, outing was exciting and it was, they don't have Lance McCullers back yet. I think they're in better shape if they advance to the World Series, but the same problems that have plagued the Astros during this series are going to show their head at some point. Uh, especially if they don't win the first game tonight, right? If it comes down to a seven, dice roll. Anything can happen. As we know, ball goes through someone's legs, uh, a big home run. So I think there's a path for Boston to do this, uh, but they have to come out swinging and they have to put a crooked number up early, really take the Houston crowd out of it, force Houston to kind of throw in their B relievers, which aren't very good, and really just kind of wave the white flag on a six. That, to me, is how the Red Sox make a play at this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's totally plausible to see the Red Sox winning these games if you consider how we last saw the two starters for the Astros pitch, right? The last two times out, Luis Garcia and Jose Urquidy did not look good. But one thing that I know that is, is strange and I can't explain is that Luis Garcia has home away stuff splits. So you expect his stuff to be the same home and away. But this year he has very distinct home and away stuff splits. And there, uh, as far as I can tell, it's not atmospheric. It's, you know, it's not like Houston, you know, is on the moon or something. Uh, it's not like Houston is Colorado. Um, so maybe it's a slight humidity thing or something, but his stuff has been way better at home. So, you know, you get Luis Garcia at home, he shoves. Then, you know, if Rikidi is hurt, if that was part of what happened uh, in the first one, uh, in a game seven, um, I don't think they allow him, you know, to give up three you know two or three runs you know i think they you know he's out in the first if if uh if he starts giving up runs so that might change things because um you know if luis garcia i guess they would have to have lost the luis garcia game to even get there but uh they're going to empty the bullpen in that one and uh and javier is going to pitch in the first if, if there's any sign of issue um and uh so I still think the Astros are going to win this one, but it's going to be a squeaker. I, I mean, even if they win with Garcia in Game Six, like I'm sure it'll be somewhat close. It's not like he has, uh, you know, Verlander stuff at home and you know Luzardo stuff on the road. Are we expecting Javier to be held back until Game Seven since he last pitched on it was Tuesday, the 19th? So like he threw 57 pitches that day, so he's not coming into tonight's game, right? He's he's Game Seven only for Houston. I think they want to play it as straight up as possible. They want Luis Garcia to go five 
You know, they want Stanek and Presley to go two or three, you know, like to get combined, go three. Right. Maybe if you do that, if you do that, you just have to fudge one inning. Yeah. And you could just do that based on matchups. You know, you could find your way through it. So I don't know. It it should be fun. I, I mean, I agree with the idea that it has to be early. The Red Sox offense has to get on the board quickly to put that pressure on Houston to get into those softer relievers to force those tough decisions sooner rather than later. Yeah, Evaldi. do you want to use your A relievers or your B relievers? That's the whole thing about scoring first is you kind of force the other team to possibly use their B relievers if there's another game, you know? Because there's going to be a temptation yep. to keep your A relievers as fresh as possible for seven in case you want to push those guys two innings instead Extra of one. Innings. It tends, in case it turns into yeah. a bullpen game, yeah. Right, because that could definitely happen. Uh, Evaldi, a big question here. We, we really don't know what the impact is of, of – Pitching on your we throw saw, day, coming back. We saw the impact for Scherzer and Urias, right? Pretty, but pretty that, easily, and the that numbers, also, and the velocity, and the totally, it's totally there. But how much of that could also be previous usage on top of the throw day, mm. right? Like I think yeah. Urias, wasn't Evaldi, was it? Oh, was that the first time Evaldi was used out of the pen this 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 postseason? I thought it was, and I will verify that while we're talking, just to be uh, sure. So uh, I, I believe so. Okay, but. Sure, but like they've done it in postseasons past. I do think it's maybe a fatigue factor um, for these guys. I don't know. Also, like if you get to a seven, do you bring Sale back for like his throw day? Probably. Yeah. Because he looked so good for a good chunk of that game. And then, like he said, he had one inning where he sucked, which is true. Yeah, just go um, 97 for one inning, get some lefties out. Although, yeah, which so, lefties? Because he wasn't getting your down over on two out. <laughs> no, it's not for two. You're down on Alvarez. Uh, but yeah, brain a tumor. It's fine when you said Yordan. I, I I don't know many Yordans. And then um, I threw an O on it, which I do sometimes. Why do I do that? It's because I loved Yordana Ventura so much. Huh. So seven. It gets interesting if the if Houston doesn't win tonight. That's for sure. The last time Houston went home for a three-two best of seven, they lost the World Series in nineteen. It's possible. Mm. Oh yeah. It's definitely possible. And yeah, Evaldi did not pitch in relief prior to game four. I swear I thought I'm, I saw him warm up for a game or something, but maybe I'm. Mike Petriello had a good point about like th- these postseasons are so long now, you know, and they're only going to get longer if they expand the postseason. But like these postseasons are so long now that, you know, have we like as a sport really uh, changed the like we've only asked more of our pitchers in the postseason. And the postseason has only gotten longer. Like, you know, it used to be you jumped right into the CS. Yeah. You know, there was a time where you you jumped right into the World Series. Yeah. You got to take it down at 154, in my opinion, if you're going to expand anything else. I think that's a great idea. Thank you. Take it back down. (laughs) I don't know if they're ever really going to go for that, though. Like, I just. Uh, If they're getting more money from the playoffs, though, I think they will. And yeah. the players would the players would have to get insurance that like pay doesn't go down because it's 154 versus 162, you know? Well, how much percent are we talking here? They could split whatever percentage it is. They each go down one percent or something like that. Yeah. But the payoff getting to the playoffs equals it all out because they make money for each round they get to. Like mm-hmm. when you get to the World Series, you're talking about like a whole nother year. But of not salary. every player, that only playoffs, right? Although with expanded playoffs, yes. it'd be about half the teams. Let's- with expanded players, be yes, and now the incentive, extra incentive, is to make that money back right in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Which, if you get to the World Series, those guys are making an extra five hundred grand. Yeah, 
that works. Uh, predictions for games six and or seven on the ALCS side. Are you both sticking with Houston now that they've got that three two lead? Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with Houston. Um, Watch Luis Garcia do the salsa dance over tonight or over tomorrow. Over tonight. It wouldn't surprise me if this goes to seven, but I, yeah, I want Houston to fin- finish him. Finish him. Um. <laughs> <laughs> like a little Mortal Kombat reference as, uh, as we go out on this Friday. I am very nervous about my Boston pick. I thought they had to go back to Houston up 3-2 if they are going to win the series. I'll stick with the Red Sox because I'm just going to stick to my original prediction. I'm not going to waffle. That's Eno's job. So I'll uh, I'll stick to pancakes or whatever the similar but slightly I've got all is. four teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to be right regardless of, uh, of what happens. But uh, thanks to everyone for watching throughout the week. We, of course, are back here at 1130 a.m. Eastern on Monday. We'll recap all the happenings from this weekend. And if you want to read along over the course of the weekend, you can do that with a subscription to The Athletic. Get 33% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. On Twitter, she is at Britt underscore Daroli. He is at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. And as always, you can drop us a line via email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. Enjoy the games this weekend. Rates and Barrels returns on Monday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.